Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fiscum All, your weekly consistency check on America's political and legal file systems. I'm your host, T. Greg Doucette, here in studio with Mike, the sound guy, and we are broadcasting to you from the heart of downtown Durham, North Carolina. Uh, we got a shorter than normal episode today uh, because sadly I have real world work at my law firm and I am desperately behind. So I did not have much time to work on the outline. And after we are done recording in studio today, I'm going to my office, which is a few blocks away to try and get caught up on some stuff. Uh, but even though it is short, we still have about 20-ish stories of criminal justice fuckery for you to tide you over. Uh, there will not be a Law 140. I'm pretending like we're going to do an episode on Thursday, but my track record with midweek episodes has not been great so far, so I make you no guarantees. For now, just assume there's going to be an extra long episode next Monday. But if Mike and I can get something together for Thursday, we will. Uh, before I get into the stuff, though, I want to say thank you to everybody for a few different things. First, thank you to everyone who nominated us for the 13th Annual Podcast Awards. Listener nominations for that ended on July 31st. We don't know if we made it onto the slate for the judges yet or not. That slate will be announced on August 11th. So next Monday, you will hear from me whether or not we actually made it onto the short list or not. Uh, I also want to give a tremendously huge thank you to everybody who participated in our Crayons to Calculators school supply drive. I talked about this last week. We've talked about it on Twitter. Uh, I only really tweeted about it initially for like a couple hours and then two days later, I had a ton of boxes of stuff at my office, and I compared it to uh, 2016 when we did this, and we've already doubled the amount of stuff that y'all have dropped off, sent in, mailed to me, and that's separate and apart from several of you who also made cash donations. So we're already more than double where we were two years ago. We're still getting stuff in. And you can still send stuff if you want to. There is still time. If you are interested in dropping something off, if you're local to Durham, our office is 311 East Main Street in Durham, North Carolina 27701. If you want to hop on Amazon and mail us stuff, you can do that too. Uh, but check out the Twitter thread for the pictures. It is fantastic. I'm incredibly grateful that all of you step up and help out whenever I have these random charity drives. It's totally awesome. Uh, that's actually part of why I'm behind at work, because I spent a good chunk of time unboxing stuff and throwing them into the bins and trying to consolidate and everything else. And in my mind, it, it didn't seem like it would take that long, but it actually did. Like It ended up taking a couple hours across two days because we just had so much stuff. And I also have enough uh, of those little air mattress things, uh, not air mattress, the airbags, the, the compressed air that they toss into a plastic bag to help keep stuff from moving around. I have enough of those to make a bona fide air mattress, uh, but it's been an experience. I'm grateful for all of you for it. So thank you. All right. If you have not already done so, please make sure to join the conversation online. Our Twitter account is at Fiskamall. That is at F-S-C-K-E-M-A-L-L. -L. If you'd like to leave us a written comment, you can do that on our website, Fiskamall.com. That's F-S-C-K-E-M-A-L-L. ALL.com. And if you'd like to become one of our financial supporters, our patrons, you can do that on patreon.com slash fisk. That is patreon.com slash FSCK. And if you want to see pictures of the school supplies, 
I guess technically you can follow my Instagram. I don't necessarily recommend it because it's usually me talking about me trying to get in shape. Uh, but I'm on Instagram at uh, Instagram.com slash I think it's Greg.Doucette. I don't actually know because I don't use it that often. I used to post Samson pics there all the time. But uh, since he passed in October, it's just random stuff rather sporadically. But I have been putting the pictures of the school supplies as they come in there. So if you can't find the Twitter thread, you can just go to the Instagram. You'll see it there. Uh, before we get into the criminal justice fuckery, though, I, I do want to talk about two political stories briefly because we just this is we're reaching the point in the presidency of our beloved papaya potus donald trump where all the truth just kind of starts coming out all the shit they've spent two years denying they just decide to go ahead and fucking admit it so your president the moscow muppet himself decided to take to twitter and say quote fake news is reporting a complete fabrication that I am concerned about the meeting my wonderful son Donald had in Trump Tower. This was a meeting to get information on an opponent. Totally legal and done all the time in politics, and it went nowhere. I did not know about it, exclamation point. This is the meeting with the Russians, by the way. So this is essentially your president admitting that his campaign team had a meeting to collude with the Russians. Because remember, last year, they said that there was no meeting. Then the Washington Post reported on it and it says, okay, well, there was a meeting, but Donald Trump Jr. read this statement to Congress that uh, I've actually got the quote. It says, quote, we primarily discussed a program about the adoption of Russian children that was active and popular with American families years ago. So that was the statement. And then people were like, well, Donald Trump Jr. didn't write that. The president must have written that. And they said, no, no, the president didn't write it. And then months went by and they said, okay, yeah, the president did write it. It wasn't Trump. Uh, Trump Jr., rather, because they were concerned Trump Jr. was going to be held in contempt of Congress. Uh, then it just came out a couple weeks ago that prior to the meeting, they had a pre-meeting to plan out the collusion ahead of time. So basically what you've got is all of this stuff, all of the original reporting from the Washington Post and the New York Times from last year that the White House denied to the hilt at length it's all been basically confirmed as true. The president has just admitted it on his own Twitter account. So when we talk about the right to remain silent and how you should never talk to the police and you should never talk about your cases, this is the kind of dumb shit that I'm talking about. Because the president has now tweeted out something implicating his son in an effort to either, I, I don't know what the fuck he's doing. I don't know if he's trying to save himself by claiming he didn't know about it or trying to save his son by claiming that it was totally normal. I don't fucking know. He's just going to end up pardoning the kid anyway. But if you were a normal person engaged in normal criminal activity, this type of tweet would be used against you in court quite easily. Uh, also, <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. Fuck's sake. Uh, Geraldo Rivera accidentally said the quiet parts out loud about Donald Trump's wall, admitting that it's not going to stop criminals. It's actually just there psychologically because white people are scared about all the brown folks coming in. I've actually, I've got the clip. I'm going to play the clip for you. The first 10, 15 seconds is him just being a garden variety racist, but the money quote comes at the very end. Here's a listen. If you want the wall, the wall, I think, will cut down on the on the Juan and Maria, the fruit picker, the, uh, you know, the babysitter, the lawnmower, the dishwasher. Those immigrants will be, I, I think, uh, kept out by the wall. But the transnational dope 
dopers won't be. I mean, you see in, uh, you know, uh, I, I made this joke in Madison Square Garden when they shoot the uh, uh, T-shirts the, uh, into the crowd. Imagine that was just 10 pounds of cocaine. You could shoot it over a 30-foot wall. Either. Catapult. But I think, though, that the United States needs psychically, we need psychologically, we need the wall on the southern border because it's, it was scared that the demographic makeup of the country is changing. There's so many people coming Rado, you We been, need some enforcement. Did you catch that? Holy shit. Let me read it back to you. I think, though, that the United States needs psychically. We need psychologically. We need the wall on the southern border because we're scared that the demographic makeup of the country is changing. There's so many people coming. Holy shit. We call that the quiet part. You're not supposed to say that part out loud. But damn, how fucking weak have we gotten as a country, how flaccid and cowardly, you know, we, you want to talk about psychological symbols. We used to look at the declaration of independence as a symbol that all men were endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. We used to look to the fucking bald Eagle as a symbol. You think bald Eagles give the slightest fuck about a wall about people moving in? Fuck no. They're apex predators. They do what they're supposed to fucking do. Anyway, we used to look to the statue of Liberty as a psychological symbol. You know, the Statue of Liberty has an inscription on it. It says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. That's on the Statue of Liberty. That's what we used to look to as a country, as a psychological symbol. We were so awesome at being Americans. We were such exceptional people that we didn't give the slightest goddamn who came in. Because if it was someone who didn't want to become an American, we could outcompete with them. And if they did want to become an American, we could take someone who is wretched refuse and turn them into some of the best fucking people in the entire country because that's who we are. And yet now you have people on Fox News, you know, Geraldo Rivera, we've become feeble, mewling whelps, unable to stand up and compete that we, I'm putting that in air quotes, we need a wall psychologically as our new symbol. Jesus Christ. These people are fucking ridiculous. They're absolutely ridiculous. And if you need a wall psychologically, you need to seek professional help because you got some serious self-esteem problems. All right, let's get into the criminal justice fuckery for the week. We're going to start out in Arizona, and this is basically a faucet laugh because this is not funny. This is a follow-up from last week. Remember, I mentioned to you that ProPublica had done an investigation and found that pedophiles really like the border policy that ICE and Customs and Border Protection are using, putting all these undocumented minors in shelters that they can use to then sexually abuse them. Well, as part of ProPublica's investigation, at least one of them now is under indictment. From that story, it says, quote, a youth care worker for Southwest Key, this is one of the nonprofits that contracts with ICE and CBP, uh, has now been charged with 11 sex offenses after authorities accused him of molesting at least eight unaccompanied immigrant boys over nearly a year at one of the company's shelters in Mesa, Arizona. The allegations against Levian Pacheco, who is HIV positive, include that he performed oral sex on two of the teenagers and tried to force one of them to penetrate him anally. The other six teens, all between 15 and 17, said Pacheco had groped them through their clothing. Now, what you find is that this is not just a Trump thing. It's accelerating under Trump because they've got more potential victims. But this has been going on since Obama. He continues, quote, all 
all of the incidents are alleged to have taken place between August 2016 and July 2017, according to a court filing last week that laid out the government's case. The case, initially investigated by local police, is now proceeding through U.S. District Court in Phoenix. Pacheco had worked at Southwest Key's Casa Cocapelli Shelter, one of eight the company runs in Arizona, since May 2016. Casa Cocapelli was cited by the Arizona Department of Health Services in 2017 for failing to complete background checks, including fingerprinting, to ensure that employees hadn't previously committed sex offenses and other crimes. Pacheco worked for nearly four months without a complete background check, according to documents and an agency official. Now, I want to repeat again for emphasis. When I did this interview with the Law Sisters podcast a couple weeks ago, one of the things I said was that the reason these kids were at risk was because the federal government barely did background checks and they were done poorly. And if you went with a private contractor, you'd be lucky if they were done at all. Now, I mentioned last week, people contacted me and they were totally fucking outraged that I had the audacity to make such bold claims like that. And yet here you have, just a week and a half later, a news story confirming I was right. It's exactly what the fuck I said. This is not rocket science, people. This is the exact same shit that happens over and over and over and over again. It's normal. It is part of basic standard government incompetence and incompetence by the private parties contracting with the government. This is all normal shit. None of this is new. So if you think that things are running smoothly, that they're running properly, guess what? I got some oceanfront property in Iowa that I would love to sell you. Hit me up. Uh, out of California, we got some good news, a reminder that police killing people is a choice. We're going to give you a link to the uh, the story on Joel Tapia Jr., who was being arrested by police when he decided to become aggressive and actually tried to fight one of the officers, Daniel Ansia. They got into a fight. It's all on video. Ansia pulled his gun and had the authority, would have been able to shoot this guy dead if he wanted to, but he didn't. Turns out Tapia ran into his home. They eventually called SWAT. They tried to negotiate getting him out. Eventually SWAT went in and removed him, but he was alive. Nobody died. It's a reminder that it can be done. You don't have to kill people. Police just do it because they want to. So kudos to the folks in Oxnard, California. Uh, out of Sacramento County, we have the third rule of Fisk. There are no new stories, just new names and jurisdictions. This one involves abuse of license plate readers. From that story, it says, quote, California law is crystal clear. Any entity, including government agencies, that accesses data collected by automated license plate readers must implement a privacy and usage policy. This policy must ensure all use of this sensitive information, subquote, is consistent with respect for individuals' privacy and civil liberties. The policy must include a process for periodic audits, and every time the data is looked up, a purpose for the search must be recorded. From June 2016 until July 2018, however, the Sacramento County Department of Human Assistance failed to abide by these basic legal requirements, according to documents obtained by the Electronic Frontier Foundation through the California Public Records Act. 
the county allowed 22 employees working in the welfare fraud department to search license plate data collected by other agencies and private companies more than 1,000 times without any of these mandated accountability measures. No policies were written or posted online as required by law. No audits were conducted. The purposes for the license plate data searches were not recorded according to logs. And it goes on from there. We'll give you a link to the whole story. But you'll remember, this is not the first time that license plate reader abuse has come up in California. Because way back in episode 39 last year, we talked about the Alameda County Sheriff's Office choosing to put one of those readers right outside a hospital emergency room so that they could track every single person who happened to have a medical emergency. So those were the stories out of California. Over in Colorado, we've got another third rule of Fisk. This is actually, I think we've got one, two, we got three third rule of Fisk stories this week. This one is another entry in the gotta kill you to save you line of cases that we talked about just last week. From that story, it says, quote, The man shot and killed by Aurora police was defending his family from a naked stranger who had burst through the front door of their home in the wee hours of Monday morning, grabbed an 11-year-old boy who was sleeping on a couch, and attacked him. The 73-year-old man who was shot, who has been identified as Gary Black and was the boy's grandfather, shot the intruder with a 9mm pistol while the stranger was choking the boy and trying to drown him in a bathtub. The intruder later died. Soon afterward, an Aurora Police Department officer shot and killed the grandfather after police arrived at the home. Police have admitted they killed a homeowner at 1.30 in the morning Monday at the home, but they have not explained what transpired other than that police arrived to a chaotic and violent scene, heard gunshots, and encountered an armed man whom they shot. The intruder has not yet been identified. Again, when you break into a home like big dick gunslinging paramilitary groups. This is the type of outcomes that you get. All right, the castle doctrine we've talked about before, this notion that your home is your castle. It is sacrosanct. You are authorized to defend it by lethal force as needed. So this grandfather, military veteran, did that. Guy broke in, tried to kill an 11-year-old boy. Grandfather said, fuck you, I'm going to go ahead and take care of it. And he did. And then the police said, well, fuck, we didn't get a chance to kill anybody. Let's go ahead and kill grandpa. That's essentially how that all went down. It's utterly fucking ridiculous. And it's par for the course in this country. If you go just go back to last week's episode, we talked about six or seven examples just in the past few months where we've done this exact same type of shit. Uh, out of El Paso County. The God, this shit is outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. So a former El Paso County Sheriff's deputy who created kitty porn, not just shared it, not just looked at it, actually created kitty porn, has been sentenced, and he's going to get zero days in jail. Absolutely none. From the story, it says, quote, a former El Paso County Sheriff's deputy who created a pornographic image involving a young boy took a plea deal that allows him to avoid prison time. Prosecutors say Donald Fair offered to share the image on a child porn message board. Fair pleaded guilty to one count of sex assault on a child by a person in a position of trust. Under Colorado law, there is no mandated prison time for that charge. Instead, Fair was sentenced to sex offender intensive supervised probation. He also must register as a sex offender. Subquote, this outcome is the best we could hope for in this case under current Colorado law, District Attorney George Brockler said. 
A young, innocent child is not further traumatized by testifying and being cross-examined during a trial, and the perpetrator is monitored and given therapy to keep the community safe. For this case, for this moment, for these facts, this is justice. Now, here's why that statement is bullshit. For them to know that this guy created the kitty porn, that means there's enough digital evidence to crucify his ass at trial without having this kid testify. That's point one. But point two, federal prosecutions for child pornography, they routinely dole out decades-long prison sentences just for mere possession. You're telling me this guy can't get a single day in jail and that's justice? No, he's getting that type of deal because he used to have a badge and it makes them look bad if he ends up being locked up for an excessive period of time. So those are the stories out of Colorado and Florida. We do have good news. Don't let it be said that I don't report good news. Uh, in Miami, driving while under the influence of alcohol, DWIs are down dramatically because of ride-sharing services and the fact that millennials don't like to drive. From that story, it says, quote, In the past four years, DUI arrests made by Miami-Dade's two largest police departments have plummeted. In Miami-Dade, the largest police department in the southeastern U.S., arrests were down a staggering 65% in 2017 from four years earlier. Miami-Dade police arrested more than 1,500 people each year from 2013 through 2015 for DUI. Only 594 were arrested on the same charge last year. Miami's numbers, and let me pause, I don't understand how Florida is set up. I'm assuming Miami-Dade is the county and Miami is the city. I don't know why Miami-Dade County would have police as opposed to a sheriff's department, but I, I don't know Florida. Any Florida listeners, if y'all want to chime in on how y'all are structured, I would appreciate it because that shit's confusing to me. Uh, Miami's numbers weren't quite as eye-popping, though they also declined a lot. Miami police arrested 461 people on DUI charges in 2013, but by 2015, that number dropped to 321 and has leveled off since, a 31% decrease. Some of the credit probably goes to the rise of ride-sharing companies like Uber and Lyft. Their increasing popularity coincided almost directly with the drop in DUI arrests. Other factors also play in, according to experts. Some attribute the drop-off to a more educated public. I, I'm going to put a pause. I sincerely doubt that one. Uh, others point to more proactive law enforcement and a trendy distaste for driving by the millennial generation. Why do I think it's not public education? Well, because so driving drunk, I mean, there are some people that just that know they can't handle their liquor and they're probably going to get plastered. And, and I'm not pretending like those people don't exist. But DUIs are one of those crimes where very few people know ahead of time that they're going to likely end up doing it. What happens is you go out with friends, you start drinking the alcohol impairs your judgment so you don't realize you're as fucked up as you are, and you try to drive when you, in your mind, think you're perfectly fine. I know this because I went to college and I've seen friends who had to take keys from other friends as the friend whose keys are being taken insists that they're totally great as they're you know, uh, uh, trying to get their keys back and falling over and slurring their speech and whatever else. That's not something public education can fix. It can't because what happens is you don't realize how fucked up you are because you're in the middle of drinking. So I, I don't think it's public education. I would not be surprised if it's ride sharing because if you don't drive your car to the bar, you can't drive your car back. I mean, it's just kind of cause and effect common sense. And among millennials, I get that some people apparently are less likely to have cars in the first place because they prefer bikes and shit. And that's fine too, I guess. Uh, I, I'm very, 
Like, I'm very honest about my conservative leanings. I prefer my freedom. I like having a vehicle that I can drive wherever the fuck I want, whenever the fuck I want. Uh, but I also recognize that I don't drink if I'm going to have to drive somewhere that night. So, yeah, I, I just don't think it's public education. Ride sharing makes sense. I'm willing to be wrong either way. Uh, but that's my take on it. All right. So that was out of Florida in Louisiana, the floor to ceiling clusterfuck of criminal justice. We have two stories on the same case. So police in Avoyles Parish uh, decided to kill a guy because he was not sufficiently compliant. And new body cam footage has been released and the coroner's report in that case has been released from the first set of quotes from the first story. It says, quote, a criminal justice expert says of Oils Parish law officers who wrestled a Marksville man off a tractor while serving an arrest warrant last year used too much force, needlessly escalating a confrontation that ended with the man's death. A second expert said he doesn't agree the officers used excessive force, but said they may have acted negligently by failing to administer aid once Armando Frank was unconscious. A video recording of the arrest obtained by the advocate shows officers growing frustrated with Frank, 44, after he refuses to step down from a tractor near a Walmart store. Walmart store. My goodness, I don't know what's wrong with my mouth today. Near a Walmart store along Louisiana Route 1. A use of force expert who reviewed the 10-minute recording at the newspaper's request says the law officers escalated the exchange by placing Frank in a chokehold and attempting to yank him off the tractor. Subquote, Frank's level of resistance starts out as passive. It doesn't go to active and aggressive until he's physically assaulted by these deputies. Gregory Gilbertson, director of the criminal justice program at Centralia College in Centralia, Washington, said Thursday. Now, I'm going to say you look at the video... And this is going to be a recurring theme you hear this week. Uh, the video is worse than the story. Uh, but the second story on the same exact homicide says, quote, Manual strangulation was the primary cause of death of Armando Frank, the 44-year-old Marksville man who died during an October 2017 struggle with a Boyles Parish Sheriff's deputies and a Marksville police officer, according to a forensic pathologist report that became public Friday as part of a federal lawsuit. The report by Youngsville pathologist Christopher Tape labels the death a homicide, noting that officers compromised Frank's breathing for more than six minutes by placing him in neck holes and pressing him from behind. The report, which relies on an autopsy and body camera video, also notes that officers did not attempt any resuscitative measures. Resuscitative. God, I'm doing terrible today. Did not attempt any resuscitative measures. And avoid now, here's the part. This is, I'm sure, gonna knock you over with a, a feather. And Avoyles Parish Grand Jury weighed a negligent homicide charges against the law enforcement personnel, but declined to return any indictments. So there's now that federal wrongful death suit pending, and Louisiana taxpayers will be on the hook for a boatload of money. Uh, out of Maryland, we have the fourth rule of Fisk in Baltimore. The fourth rule is The Wire was a documentary. And we have a story of a viral video of police beating the shit out of a 13-year-old boy with a mental disability. From that story, 
It says, quote, the Baltimore Police Department is investigating a viral video in which an angry officer can be seen manhandling a 13-year-old boy with a mental disability. The boy, Deontay, was said to have been looking for a cat in a neighbor's yard with his 11-year-old sister when the cops were called. A neighbor apparently thought a burglary was taking place. But what started as a mere misunderstanding quickly escalated based on numerous videos taken of the police's actions once they arrived on the scene. Now, the story describes a lot of these as incidents, and I'm putting that in air quotes, these different videos. You know, there's this incident that happened, this incident that happened. Basically, the cop beats the shit out of this kid, gives him a black eye, punches in the mouth, fucks up his teeth, and he's 13 years old, totally unarmed. And it, again, it goes back to my point that I've mentioned several times. If you're a grown-ass man and you cannot somehow manage to deal with a 13-year-old child, you need to go into a different line of work. Policing is not for you. Uh, but it continues, quote, Another shocking clip also shows the officer angrily pushing Deontay into his police vehicle. Subquote, I'm about to send this kid to the fucking hospital. If I see him again, I'm going to beat the shit out of him. A separate officer eventually called an ambulance to treat Deontay's injuries. So that was Maryland. Over in Michigan, in Detroit, we have the first rule of Fisk. Police will continue to do dumb shit even when they are being recorded from that story. And this is, I've said it before. Well, hang on, I'll, I'll get there. From the story, it says, quote, shocking video from inside Detroit receiving hospital shows a Detroit police officer beating a woman. The video was sent to Fox 2 from a viewer who captured the brutal beating on cell phone video. The extremely graphic video shows a naked woman being pummeled multiple times by a Detroit police officer while other officers are holding her. The woman was naked and cursing and was being restrained by officers. The story goes on from there. The particular officer on video has been suspended. The police chief kind of gave away the game because they had a press conference and the police chief admitted that on the video, I mean, you could see it, but to have an officer actually admit it is the giveaway, admitted that the woman had turned away from the officer as she was being punched. So unless she's got projectile diarrhea, by turning away, that means she wasn't being a threat. And I was going to mention at the beginning, I'm going to mention it now, this is another one of those examples where the video is actually worse than the story. You should go watch the video because this officer is so this woman's naked and clearly having a mental health episode of some kind. I mean, people don't just roam around the hospital naked, cursing and spitting at people if they're not having some kind of mental situation. But this officer is going at her like he's a fucking pro boxer. Like we're not talking, you know, these kind of side swings, dudes doing direct fierce jabs straight to her face repeatedly. And the fucked up part is you have officers holding her, grabbing her arms so she can't do anything as the guy continues to punch her. I mean, if you're going to beat someone, at least have it be a fair fight where she can punch you back. And you see on video where she turns away from him and he continues to beat the shit out of her. It's disgusting. And the only reason why anyone knows about it is because another patient in the same hospital happened to record it on their own video. So to everyone listening, record everything. Anytime you see police interacting with anyone, record it. Because that's the only way a lot of this shit ever happens to get discovered. So that's out of Michigan. In North Carolina, we got a lot of North Carolina stories this week. We got four of them. Even though it's an abbreviated episode, we still have four things going on here. We'll start in Asheville out west as taxpayers are going to be on the hook for $650,000 
and the beating of Johnny Rush. Now, we've talked about this in four different episodes before. We talked about the initial discovery that this beating took place in episode 54. We talked about the city manager being fired in episode 55 when it was discovered that the police department tried to cover it up. We talked about the extended body cam footage in 58 that made it look even worse. Uh, And then in episode 66, we talked about some of the procedural changes that the city council has enacted. So go back to those prior episodes if you want some of the background. Uh, But from the story in this time, it says, quote, an unarmed black pedestrian who is beaten, shocked and choked in a highly publicized encounter with police will get more than a half million dollars from the city. In a settlement completed Friday, the city agreed to pay Johnny Rush $650,000 following the beating almost a year ago. Officer body camera video of the beating became national news. Locally, the beating raised tensions between African-American residents and police and caused upheaval in city government, including the ouster of the city manager. So we give you a link to that story. You can read through it. It's also got links to some of the earlier coverage. Uh, At a Camp Lejeune, where we have the Marine Corps here in North Carolina, a guy was thrown out of the military for participating in the Charlottesville protest where he was beating the uh, the Antifa protesters. From that story, it says, quote, The man who allegedly attacked protesters while marching with neo-Nazis in Charlottesville last year has officially been booted from the Marine Corps. Lance Corporal Vasilios Pistolis, a water support technician with Combat Logistics Battalion 8, was discharged from the Marine Corps Installations East Regional Brig at Camp Lejeune and kicked out of the Marine Corps on July 11th, according to Major Brian Block, spokesperson for the Marine Corps headquarters. Subquote, the Marine Corps' stance on membership in extremist or hate groups remains the same. There is no place for racial hatred or extremism in the Marine Corps. Our strength is derived from the individual excellence of every Marine, regardless of background. Bigotry and racial extremism run contrary to our core values. Pistolis, well, this is not a direct quote. This is me going through the priests and summarizing what happened. He was sentenced to 28 days of confinement at the Briggs. He was in jail. A reduction in rank to private, forfeiture of two-thirds of his pay for a month, and he was dishonorably discharged. Holy cow. Like, they don't even do that for Nazi police. If you're a Nazi police officer running a record label or a racist website or whatever, you get promotions. And don't fucking tweet me about that comment either. Go back to the prior episodes where they made that one guy a police chief. That type of shit happens. All right, so that's out of Camp Lejeune. Out of Durham, we have the third rule of Fisk again. There are no new stories, just new names and jurisdictions. This is a high-speed chase ending in someone's death. Uh, and they ended up killing one of their own. So from the story, it says, quote, Durham police are investigating after a chase ended in a fatal crash Thursday night. Authorities said Durham police officers attempted to stop a Honda Accord that had been reported stolen at gunpoint. The driver fled, and a chase began near the intersection of Elizabeth and Ramser Streets. Authorities said the driver of the stolen vehicle continued to flee for over 10 minutes before colliding with a Chevy Impala and a Hyundai Sonata at an intersection. Authorities on Friday identified the driver of the Hyundai as Brooke Maynard, 24, of Durham. She worked as a detention officer with the Durham County Sheriff's Office. She was pronounced dead at the scene. 
We have talked before. High-speed chases are pointless. They serve no public safety purpose, and they cause a fuckload of collateral damage when the people who are fleeing end up hitting, and in this case, killing, normal, innocent, law-abiding citizens who are going about their daily business. It needs to stop. Uh, it's out of Durham and Raleigh. We've talked before about the uh, the beating of Chiron Hitton couple weeks back, well, one of the officers involved, because he's now in this particular criminal trial, uh, other traffic stops have been reviewed of his, and it turns out he has a tendency to beat people in traffic stops. Uh, from the story, it says, quote, a state highway patrol trooper charged in the April beating of an unarmed Raleigh man could face even more criminal charges in connections with other stops that he's made. In response to a petition filed by WRAL News and other media outlets, Superior Court Judge Graham Shirley on Thursday ordered the release of dashboard camera videos detailing stops made by Trooper Michael Blake in August of 2016 and in March 2018 days before Blake was involved in the arrest of Chiron Hinton in Raleigh, for which he was later charged and fired. Blake and another trooper pulled over Kimberly Ingram, a disabled Navy veteran, saying she had a fictitious license plate on her car, but the other trooper later determined they had entered the wrong plate number when they were checking. Blake berates Ingram for not stopping when he and the other trooper first turned on their sirens and blue lights. Ingram was handcuffed and held in Blake's patrol car for two hours while he called for a drug dog to search her car. She was cited with failure to stop for a blue light, a charge that prosecutors later dismissed. She had to go to the emergency room that night for treatment of injuries she received in the stop. They also talk about the arrest of Raphael Rogers, who spent a week in the hospital after he was pulled over by Blake back in 2016. This guy is bad news, and he is currently on trial in Raleigh, uh, for that beating of Hinton. That's all out of North Carolina. In Oregon, we have the first rule of Fisk again. Police will continue to do dumb shit even when they are being recorded. This is out of Portland. There was another Nazi rally. This seems to be a recurring thing with Portland. I feel like they just had a Nazi rally just a couple weeks ago. Uh, but what you see, is, and this is not a written story. This is a tweet with video from a guy's GoPro camera. His name is Doug Brown. And he's basically half a city block away from where everything is taking place. He's recording on the GoPro and taking pictures with his camera at this Nazi rally. And the police decide that they're going to declare the rally a public nuisance. They just do it randomly. And you see police bum-rushing this photographer and constantly trying to push him back and push him back. And as they're trying to push him back, telling him to move or he's going to be arrested, he turns around. You see, there are other police officers in front of him, so he can't go forward without hitting one of those officers. Uh, it's all stupid. So there's other write-ups in HuffPost and I think some other spots about how the police ended up targeting the anti-fascist folks more so than the Nazis as part of this public nuisance. But that particular tweet with that particular video footage confirms how utterly fucking stupid it is. So I was out of Oregon in Tennessee, out of Morristown, uh, blinding people to own the libs. This is the new policy of ICE. From that story, it says, quote, He cleaned coagulated blood and fat from the slaughterhouse conveyor belt, making $11 an hour. That type of work was enough to buy a 55-inch television and a white Ford Focus, two of his proudest possessions. But on April 5th, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement agents swept up Gonzalo Chavez in a slaughterhouse raid in rural East Tennessee. 
More than three months later, he emerged blind in his left eye into a world where he had lost nearly everything. Chavez, 42, said an ICE agent didn't believe him when he said he had diabetes, so he went a week without medicine. His eye blurred after two weeks, then fell dark. Subquote, I lost everything. I can't see. I can't drive. I feel like a burden. He said, I've been independent for 20 years. I'll give you a link to the full story. It's a lot more detailed and frankly, a lot more sad. But this is yet another reminder that ICE and CBP both, they thrive on indiscriminate cruelty. They like it. It is part of what they do. It is part of their modus operandi. It is how they operate. ICE has become a renegade agency and it needs to be abolished. Bring back the INS. Bring back some form of government entity that actually believes in following the rule of law and not blinding people for fucking sport. You know, if you or I got into a fight with somebody and we deliberately maimed them, you know, gouged out an eye or chopped off a finger or whatever else, that is a crime. It's been a crime for a long time. It's a crime back to colonial times. It used to be called mayhem, the crime of mayhem, the deliberate maiming of another person. And yet, here you have ICE doing this shit, and they're going to get away with it. This guy was a productive member of society. He was working. He was providing for himself. He wasn't taking any welfare benefits or anything else from the rest of us. He was paying taxes in the form of sales taxes or property taxes that he paid through his rent or the vehicle taxes or the gas taxes when he put gas in his car. He was doing all of those things. And the Trump administration locked him up decided that they weren't going to give him medication because they're fucking lazy and couldn't verify whether or not he had a medical condition. And because of it, he's now blind. He's going to have to be taken care of by other people, regardless if he stays here in the country or he gets shipped back to wherever it is that he happened to have come from. That's the type of indiscriminate cruelty that needs to stop. This is not what our government is supposed to be about. The government is supposed to serve the people. All right, that's why it exists. That's part of the social compact. I did not make, as part of my social compact with the government, make it a goal for them to go blind other people for sport. It's fucking grotesque. So that's out of Tennessee. And that is all of the state-by-state criminal justice fuckery that we have for this week. We do every now and again cover stories in other countries. We have one of those today. It is out of Sweden in Stockholm where police summarily executed a man with Down syndrome and autism because he happened to have an object in his hands that they thought looked like a gun. From the story, it says, quote, A man with Down syndrome and autism was shot dead by police in Stockholm for waving a toy gun when several officers opened fire, a prosecutor has said. 20-year-old Eric Terrell was shot early on Thursday morning in the Swedish capital and died of his wounds shortly afterwards. Prosecutor Martin Tyden, who is examining whether police were at fault, said, subquote, the man held a weapon-like object and officers opened fire after judging the situation as threatening. The uh, prosecutor continued further down in the story, quote, it has subsequently been established that the object was some kind of toy, more than one police officer made use of his firearm. 
Uh, Terrell's mother, Katerina Soderberg, told the Express a newspaper that her son was, subquote, the world's sweetest and most lovable person. Soderberg said that the 20-year-old who struggled to communicate had been reported missing after leaving home hours earlier. So I guess this really is kind of like a third rule of Fisk thing. The family of a disabled person calls for help because they need it, and the police say challenge accepted and shoot them dead. So, folks, that is it for this week's Criminal Justice Fuckery. I'm sorry that it's a short episode, but I've got to get some work done so I can pay the bills so I can continue to do this on the side. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed it anyway. I hope these 42-ish minutes have slaked your thirst for at least a, a few more days. If you liked what you've heard, Please do us a favor, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or a written review, five-star rating. Sorry, I'm getting my nomenclature messed up. Leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, because I know you can do that on Stitcher too, or leave us a written review. That would be fantastic. And until we're able to get another episode, I don't know if it's going to be Thursday or Monday, but on behalf of myself and Mike the Sound Guy, thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll have a blessed week, and we'll talk to you soon.